I'm going to argue with Jason that there's no such thing as a double switcheroo. Eh, Frank's a loser. Lodero. So I officially hate like 94% of Atlanta fans. Guys, I'm going to make you set down your teacups and take your pinky fingers and put them back into the fist that they need to be in because this has gotten far too cordial. I lost to the freaking cat team. Just a whisker. A whisker of a loss. Was that a rational RSL take from Jason? <laughs> hey, I, I, I'm probably the most rational RSL fan. You just got lawyered by a non-lawyer, bro. Hello and welcome to episode 7 of the MLS Fantasy Insider Podcast. Our second week of suspension episode, uh, Suspension Distraction Machine is in full-blown on mode right now. Uh, this episode is brought to you by the MLS Fantasy Diabetes Foundation of... Wait, no, no, that's that's not right. That's not right. Uh, brought to you by MLSFantasyBoss.com and the amazing supporters from Patreon who help make this podcast possible. I'm your host, Reed Connolly from MLSFantasyBoss.com, and tonight I'm joined by my partner in fantasy, Michael Denton, and two very special guests. Uh, our first one is uh, Ryan from MLS Fantasy Stats, uh, the, the Twitter account and frequent... Uh, joiner i don't know frequent attendee of our our live chats and then our other special guest wilford brimley the diabetes wait a minute no no it's it's blaine oh my gosh it's blaine i am so sorry for all of you who are not watching our youtube broadcast live right now if you have not seen the youtube broadcast and you're listening to us on soundcloud or your preferred streaming service anywhere Please go to YouTube and find it. Blaine, tell everyone what you've done. Um, cabin fever set in hard, and I shaved off everything but the mustache this weekend. Um, comparisons to Andy Reid and Wilfred Brimley have come up. My uncle said I look like Grover Cleveland. Um, if nothing else, it's been good for a laugh, and I think it's lightened the mood for some people. And, yeah, go check it out on YouTube if you're listening to this podcast a day late because – um, I I do look funny. I'll admit it, and I'm not ashamed of it. So Blaine, you are working from home. Ryan, uh, you are dressed as a referee because you're here to answer some questions about uh, rules and maybe keep us uh, together a little bit. Uh, how are you doing? Good. I'm doing very well. And, yeah, this this is real. This is not just a you know, replica. So. He's he's a real pro. <laughs> so. So, oh, real, so uh, I see what you did there. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. Ca all caps, P-R-O. There we go. You are also working from home, so thank you for here. Yeah. Uh, Mike, you are quarantined? Home for... How are you? I am home for until April 13th, according to the governor of the state of Louisiana. There so. we go. Michael is home, and uh, I myself and am... I can go to restaurants because we're not closing restaurants in New Orleans. Oh, well, there you Miles. go. <laughs> uh, curbside carryout, so help, help me with the social distancing there. I am healthy at home, hashtag healthy at home here in Kentucky myself, uh, and uh, that's one of the reasons why we are keeping this podcast going, even though we don't have games going. I know a lot of you all listening are also taking the steps that you need to keep yourself healthy and keep others healthy. And part of that completely is mental health. And that's what we're here for, just to have a little fun. We went a lot longer last week than I thought we would, but that's just what happens when we start talking. So I hope people are enjoying Crazy Blaine, Pro Ryan, and Stir Crazy Michael. So that's, that's what we had tonight. 
and I'm looking forward to this conversation. I think it should be fun. Uh, what we're doing last week, if you missed that episode, I will try to get it edited in YouTube for a little pashow, uh link that pops in for our part one of the fantasy history discussion. That was the years 2000 through 2011. And I broke it there because 2012 is the beginning of the modern fantasy game. So last week, Blaine and Mike, you guys both said that you started a little bit after this time. What about you, Ryan? When did you first dip your toes into MLS fantasy? I think it was... Uh, okay. I think it was 2017. So it was on the unlimited assists, or not, not assists, um, transfers at that point. Mm, we'll get to that. Yes, I have some of those yeah. things marked. Uh, I'm also going to say shout out to chat right now. Thanks for all those who are with us, uh, particularly Andrew Crawlard, who was bummed that he couldn't make it last week to give us all zingers. I know he's also <laughs> up there in Seattle. has been giving us some tips on how to stockpile on uh, through Twitter and through Discord. So if you guys haven't been to Discord, hang out over there. But I say that because in 2011, Andrew began a fantasy tips blog so he is part of mls fantasy history his blog was on blogspot simply called mls fantasy a statistical approach to playing the official mls fantasy game and uh, as we discovered he has not made a post he says since 2014 he actually made a post in 2015 telling everyone that the blog was no longer active and to go to fantasy mls over at reddit but he posted uh several times throughout 12 13 and a little bit in 14 mostly with a nice statistical side for how to particularly help identify good value players at the beginning of the season which i always found very helpful so he started his coverage in 2011 right there so we'll jump right into the rest of our history lesson did you guys use andrew's website i know i did um, I didn't. I was playing mostly casually back at that time. Pshaw. Pshaw. I, I would say I probably referenced it with a couple of other blogs that were going on at the time, because mostly if I saw it on Reddit, I would use it. Well, we will start talking about the modern game, and that does, of course, include the uh, history of MLS Fantasy Boss. I did not start in 2012. I started doing stuff around 13, 14. So 2012, the name of the game changed. Up until this point, it had been called um, the Salary Cap Challenge back in 2011. And before that, pretty consistently, it was just called the MLS Fantasy Challenge. And that was so they could make a playoff of MLS FC. Well, in 2012, that all changed to MLS Fantasy Manager. And that's what it was called for a large chunk of years. Oftentimes, what I still refer to it as just to help differentiate uh, some of the fantasy terminology out there. But that was when MLS Fantasy Manager first reared its name. And I almost said reared its ugly head. It's not ugly. It was a great little icon. <laughs> That's where that happened. Uh, I don't know who sponsored it. This was the era when we started having these third-party providers help us give the game. And we've had at least two providers since 2012. And it's really just been the official MLS game owned by MLS at that time. Uh, big changes. We had a $35 million budget in 2011. Well, back in 2012, we just bumped that puppy right up to $100 million. Had a 15-player team, which was different than our 7-player team. So this was a whole reboot 
a whole reboot from the Facebook game that happened in 2011. Uh, so $100 million, 15 players, two goalkeepers, five defenders, five midfielders, three forwards. During this time, you could have three players from one team during the regular season. When it came to the playoffs, the game kept going. So that was different back then. You could then have eight players from one team as part of your fantasy team. And then when you got to MLS Cup, did we stop? No. The fantasy <laughs> game kept going, and you could have a max of 12 players from each team. I was not playing in 2012. I think I started in 13. But I remember I was still played under this system, and I had a full row of Houston Dynamo defenders, and they got me all kinds of great points that year so that was that was fun uh, as far as trades went we you were limited to one to two trades per week and it just varied depending on the week and you could no longer buy trades so goodbye microtransactions right there <laughs> and you had two wild cards that you could use throughout the season with of course a third wild card happening right at the playoff section when you first got to switch up your teams right there uh, we had auto subs but they only came at the end of a round, so you couldn't do anything during or uh, during the games. And we had a captain and the vice captain. Those uh, that was the first entrance of the vice captain into our system. For those of you who don't remember, you had your captain, and the vice was essentially a sub who was a second player who could get you double points if your captain did not play. And more about why that is no longer here momentarily. And as far as price changes go, it was solidly, consistently still the weekly market-based transition system like they do in FPL. So pretty similar, guys, right? Pretty similar. Easily call this the modern game. Uh, I am going to be calling this MLS Fantasy 3.0. But uh, we'll quickly go right there. Yes, Andrew, we will talk about that. You know what's happening. Uh, 2013 <laughs> came along, and guess what? No changes. No changes happened in 2013. Absolutely amazing. All of that stayed the same. So, and that was when I know a lot of us really started to play. Uh, the first stats I have were from the 2012 season. And I think I was able to find those. I don't think I actually collected those myself. But uh, 2013 was definitely my first year playing. And I have stats from this point going forward. 2014, it changes. Uh, in fact, I know that I was playing in 2013 because... I helped contributed to the downfall of the vice captain. In, in 2014, there was another big change. The budget went from 100 million to 120 million. Our team roster went from 15 players to 18 players. So we had an extra defender, an extra midfielder, and an extra forward added to our roster. So uh, two, six, six, and four. We were allowed to have four players from each team. That's when that started. And then we continued to have two trades per week uh, that is actually the one change in 2013 i apologize the one change in 2013 was a consistent two transfers per week with your with your teams uh, and there were four wild cards though in 2014 and that's four uh, which is three set unlimited transfer periods to help you deal with like gold cup and and uh, various other large double game week periods and buy periods with uh, within the fantasy game and one free wild cards you can use at any time. So however you want to count that, I'm just going to say four total unlimited transfer wild card periods. Uh, we had auto subs at the end of the round and manager subs were introduced. So we have uh, manager subs now where we could make those changes during the game. However, vice captains were removed. And that is because 
the fantasy community. Um, I think Andrew was a big proponent of this. Uh, Brian Cullimore from Ireland was a big proponent of this. I think he kind of pioneered a lot of this. Uh, we came up with the Caparoo, which if you're familiar with the Switcheroo stuff, which I hope you all are, it's essentially that before your captain. Yes, my friends. You could have your vice captain on your bench, see his score, decide if you like that, and then you could change your field captain to a zero scrub who you knew would not play to force yourself to get double points off of your bench player. The Caparoo, it was magnificent. It was broken, and we did it so much that in 2014, it was gone. And I am so sorry to everyone in, in fantasy history and fantasy future who wonders, why do we not have a vice captain who knows that we used to have a vice captain? It is our fault. I am so sorry. Rules I am so exist sorry. for a reason. Yes, you, you would have given us, I guess, a red card on that one. Uh, 2014 that, was That would also, only be a yellow card for like, a yellow, trying okay. to... It's just trying to circumvent the like the like the um the if you can head the ball back to the goalkeeper, that's fine. Okay. But if you try to like pick up the ball with your foot, bump it to your head and then put it back to the goalkeeper, that's trying to circumvent the laws. Okay. Of the game. Okay. So that's a yellow card offense, right? Okay. There. So we're just yellow. We're yellow right yeah, here. You're, we, you're good. You're good. We were working within the rules as we were given, and it was unintended. So <laughs> there it happened. Uh, there was also another big change uh, to fantasy at this point. And uh, that was the introduction of second assists as a point-generating category. Uh, points all changed in this 3.0 period. That's one reason why I call it Fancy 3.0 is because we really moved away from that more FPL style of mostly just goals and a small handful of defensive actions could give you points to the robust multi-point-generating uh, categories that we have today. So... Uh, that's that was when the second assist was added, and I think that was horrible because it's a garbage stat. And uh, price changes were still based on the market. So, so I have a question going back to the Caparoo because that ended the season before I started playing fantasy, and I, I feel like I've missed out on a lot here. It was just one. How season. did the budgets manage, or was it just because everyone kind of knew how to play the transfer market if you went to those certain sites? You just had a ridiculous amount of budget, and you could pull off something like having a captain potential player on your bench. Uh, part of it was you, yes, no, that's really what it was is, I mean, the budget still changed. You still gained with your players. And so, uh, you could do it with some of the lower price players. Like if we were trying to hedge our bets and maybe have uh, a value forward that you could identify who could have gone off, you could have put the, the armband on him going against Chibos and being like, yes, money right there. Give it to me. And then no, I don't have to captain Landon Donovan this week because I already got those points from this guy who got a hat trick. So fantastic there we go um but it did like like we've seen in many other iterations of the game it was easier to do later on in the system but yes uh we had a few sites we never really had a site that tracked price changes i know that i had a spreadsheet um brian cullimore was really good at predicting some of this and some people on reddit would post pretty often the players that they were anticipating they built formulas i don't know if you ever did that andrew or not um but people built some some formulas and some spreadsheets where they could try to predict whose prices were going to change based on the transfers and they would post those and kind of would keep a watch on stuff so it wasn't 100 percent uh not quite as good as some of the fpl sites were back at that at that time uh but uh, some of us were able to try to gain the market. In 12 or 13, I did not win, but I did have the 
highest valued team in the game. So I was particularly proud of that. I think it was like 112 million. So the yeah, is that like the supporters' shield of? I'm gonna go with it. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, <laughs> there are no screenshots, and I'm probably the only one who remembers it because I was so proud of it. But it was like 12 or 13 whenever I did start. And it's like, I had, well, we didn't I we that. didn't win the MLS Cup, but we got supporter shield. I didn't right. win the whole thing, but at right. least I had the highest team value. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> I was like, there it is. That was me. I, I got it done. Uh, moving on to 2015, small changes to this format. Uh, the number of wild cards total total unlimited transfer periods went from four to five. So we had five wild cards that year. Rolling transfers were introduced during this time. So with our our starts with the kickoffs of individual games and then price changes went from the market to the average versus position so i think that's a system i liked a lot i think here do you guys agree that was a system that you particularly liked or at least thought was easy to understand by people uh, the way it worked for those listening is uh, a player's price could change by negative 0.5 to positive 0.5 and it was based upon how many points they scored versus other players who earned over X threshold of points, or sorry, who played over X threshold of minutes and earned points of their same position. So forwards, midfielders, defenders, goalkeepers, all compared against each other. And I was a fan of that system myself. What about the rest of you guys? Yeah, yeah. I, I always thought that price system worked best. I, I felt like it was easier to understand than what we have now. Um, I mean, I know providers changed, but um, I remember that being kind of like the easiest price system to worry about. Yeah, I, I I remember that one fondly. It worked it worked well, and you know that start of the season, if every defender has a bad game and you know everybody's scoring goals, um, all the defenders kind of were in that same boat. You didn't have massive price fluctuations to start the season, uh, but it, I mean, if there's a few years where we've had massive numbers of clean sheets in those first two weeks, every team's getting them. So the price structure, you're not having a few players just skyrocket in price. It seemed to work really well. Just And you kind of went with the way the league went, and it was really hard to predict who was going to go up and who was going to go down because a handful of your premium players having really good weeks could raise that average to the point where nobody, where your moderately priced players aren't going to fluctuate at all. But you, Ryan, do you like the way that sounds? Do I like the way what which sounds? <laughs> the... the... <laughs> Which the one? average, <laughs> the average price change, value change versus performance of other players within their their same position. I don't see why that needs to be a thing because oh yeah, a player should get. I I don't uh, I tend to lean towards the model of a um, what uh, daily fantasy does, okay, which is they just predict how many points a player is going to score and then they value that player for that particular week at a certain point. It's not about the price changes. It's about what are they worth the for potential. this week. The price yeah. potential. Yep, so, then you're, so then what you're trying to do is you're not trying to find what players are going to perform better than they have historically, but what players are going to perform better than what MLS thinks they're going to perform. Hmm. Or what, you know, that that's... It's a different mindset, mm-hmm. but um, that's where I tend to lean, and that's maybe more just because I, I lean towards the prediction side of um, of fantasy, anyways. So, <laughs> but that that may be a preference thing, honestly. Uh, with with uh, 
changes not happening that way with, with let's focus more on price changes that provides more inefficiencies in the market which helps us with projection stuff anyway so <laughs> Uh, Adam Tamburanlo has a has a great comment in chat. All I remember from those days is playing Jimmy Madronda, who was the defender but played left wing for Sporting Kansas City, and would get subbed out sixty minutes in after getting the clean sheet bonus. Yes, the Madronda. Uh, was that was that two thousand fifteen, Blaine? Oh, no, it was seventeen. I was going to say I think that was a little yeah, bit later, but a little bit later. Yes, yes, that's always been great finding those players, and yes, that was that was a. That was a fantastic year of getting the Madrona going. <laughs> yes. Uh, moving on to 2016, we changed from 18 players down to 16 players. So dropped a defender, dropped a midfielder, but kept four forwards still right there. Wild cards fell down to four again uh, from five, and everything else stayed the same. Uh, in 2017, there was another, another shift, and we went back to a $100 million budget. We had 15 players back at the 15-man roster, so two, five, five, three lost uh, lost another forward there. Uh, for most of this time, you can still only have four players from each team. That was the introduction, though, of unlimited transfers all year long. So there it was. What many of you out there in fantasy land, fantasy MLS land, say is the dark day, the worst day. The worst year of MLS fantasy. Uh, I disagree. I've been enjoying it ever since then. But that was when it happened. Uh, 2017 is when uh, Ben introduced that with our game. Uh, Dark day. Quick roll call. Ryan, what do you think? Heck no. Heck no. (laughs) I mean, I I was not. I'll just. I, I... I like it because, again, it caters more to my you're, stats you're mindset just... where I'm not having to deal with multiple weeks. I can just figure out what the players are going to do this week and then be done with it. That's Andrew in chat says, the darkest of days. Uh, Blaine? <laughs> yeah, I think it was a good change for the game and the league. We're not a ingrained soccer culture over here. We're kind of a niche market. And if you're going to if you're primary goal is to use fantasy to grow the league this is a that was a change that needed to be made it gives everybody a viable chance every week i just wish there were weekly prizes to back it up because that's really what that system is designed for is to give everybody a fair chance at competing each week at a at a weekly prize instead of going for the long season haul and i will say uh i don't have i did not take these notes down and i didn't do it this time because i didn't do it for the last half of the game either i did not log prizes but there were uh, changes to, of course, prize structures as well throughout this whole time. Mike? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think it was a ba- bad decision. I think it's played out over... You see, the, the base of players has pretty consistently gone down um, since the introduction. Um, it's made it more alien to fantasy Premier League users, which we can debate FPL all day long, but the truth of the matter is that made up a pretty sizable portion of the fan base. Is FPL players who get bored towards february they're kind of out of it or just looking for something new log into fmls and you know try it out for a few weeks or maybe stick around we used to have a, a lot of people active on reddit uh from the fantasy Premier league and those players have largely withered away since uh the introduction of the, that that rule um it hasn't done anything to promote the game the mls hasn't taken advantage of it like blaine said about weekly prizes um has, they haven't done the promotion to bring in casuals um, to, to me, that plus the combination of rolling transfers makes it really hard for casual players to play. But 
don't know if we want to go into that right now. <laughs> nope, <laughs> this is just history and a little <laughs> bit of comment. So what we're going into now is 2018. Uh, this is by far what many people listening to the show, I imagine, should be remembering at this point. Uh, 2018, no changes. There we go. Another another rare moment in MLS. I remember having conversations with Ben over emails and stuff around this time, and he really just wanted to have some consistency in the game. And boy, did that not last very long because 2018 was the last year that we had that original provider, whose name I, I don't really know. And in 2019, we switched to the current system that we have now. I believe that company is called FanHub. Uh, I saw in some of the, the older internet archives I was looking through a little note that said sponsored or provided by FanHub. So I'm not sure if they were providing the, the behind the actual graphical interface or what was going on, but uh, we had a provider switch in 2019 to what we all know now. Stats were limited in what you could gather through the UI and some of the, the different interfaces. The reason this happened is because of mobile. And mobile was first toyed with in 2018 and in 2019 we got the full-blown mobile app uh, addition to the to the mls app of mls fantasy right there and so a more responsive uh, system was looked for the number of players per team was reduced in 2019 we had the introduction of two seasons come in 2019 and uh the price change to be an 18 huh uh no you're right that was an 18 that was the second year of, of the two seasons yeah sorry Sorry about that. Uh, so we had the second year of our two seasons. It was the last year of our two seasons. And uh, this is also when we had the new price change system introduced, which I don't exactly know how to how to name our current price system. So what I have here in my notes is the React pricing model. I don't know if that's the best name. Do you all have a better suggestion? I always call it a corrective model. Okay. It's designed. It's designed to take a player who is vastly over or underperforming their price point, and get them to the appropriate price point for their production. And this year, it's actually doing it as quickly as it possibly can. A hyper corrective model now. <laughs> well, I called it the React Model 2.0, but uh, the hyper corrective model. The, I like it. I've always called it the secretive model because they won't release the algorithm. Mm. I I was really wondering if you guys would take debate and be like the suck model or something, but uh, you did not, and I'm so proud of you. Uh, so we had the corrective model, pricing model in 2019, and that brings us to 2020, at least two weeks into 2020. Uh, we have the, or was it three? I don't even know. It's been it's been so short now. I think it was just two. We're, we only played two weeks. We played there two we games. We are in week three. That's going to be like a two-month-long week three. <laughs> uh, so we have the 2020, the $125 million static budget, uh, three players per team still with that, uh, same team size. One season, we have the Fantasy Champions League introduced here. Uh, unlimited transfers, auto subs, manager subs, rolling transfers, one captain, um, only one double game week counting, of course, if you have a double game week, and the uh, corrective pricing model 2.0, hyper, uh, energon, hyperspace, extraordinaire, whatever you want to call it, um, is where we are at now. So, my, how far have we come in this game from 11 players limited formations, a $2 million budget, and having to pay for additional transfers to where we are now. That's that's a wild ride. Um, reflection back, what do you guys think about the 
the evolution of MLS fantasy. It just seems like every They're speechless. Few... <laughs> every few years they try out something new to try to generate interest. Um, you know, you, you can tell a lot of those ideas are like, huh, maybe maybe that there there's some merit. You can see what you're doing. Yeah. Um some ideas are like, what? Um you know. What about a, a favorite year? Does a favorite year jump out for anybody? I gotta say, I, I enjoyed the old price system. Um, but it was also kind of fun to play the game throughout the playoffs as well. So I, I think I would love to see something that allowed you to keep being involved during the playoffs. So having having that early uh, 3.0, 2012, 2013 mm -hmm. type playoff system, but then bring in some of these like average pricing models. But I still like unlimited transfers. Yeah, I thought the playoff format was fun. See, I, I, I don't like playing fantasy during the playoffs. Like, I just like focusing on the games. That's just me. But the playoffs are always, like, weird for fantasy because teams approach it so differently than yeah. they approach games in the regular season. It's hard to play it fantasy-wise, mm -hmm. at least I've found. Um, because when we play the show league, that, that goes into fantasy. It's into the playoffs as well. Um, yeah, playoffs is where a format like daily fantasy really shines because then you're picking from a very limited set of players, and you can really focus in on the ones that and, and focus on the inefficiencies that you feel that you can find there. Um, compared to the, I mean, trying to fill out an eleven-man roster with, I mean, the beginning of the playoffs would be would be easier, but yeah, you get to the final game and you're like trying to fill out, you know some sort of large roster with it. And that's, and that's, of course, it'd have to be a different format, but yeah. Sure, sure. And no, that's uh, and that's really what that system kind of encouraged because you could have eight players maximum from a team. It was it was eight players maximum during the playoffs and 12 maximum at the at the finals. So you could almost just like pick your pony team and be like, I'm going to go all in with LA Galaxy. I'm going to pick eight players and then three other random guys and just see what <laughs> happens. So it, was, it, was, it kind of let you, I guess, go for your team in some ways if you were so bold. You had a comment, Blaine? Oh, I was just going to say, I'd love to see a playoff format for the current system. Like three players per team. I mean, you got obviously got to up that as the teams get fewer and fewer. But, I mean, if you've got four teams playing, okay, make it four per team. That's, that's 16 players, 15 fills out a roster now. You only have to up it by a few, but then you really have to kind of pick and choose within the budget and hedge your bets on one, but you're – I mean, you may like LAFC and go all in, but you still got to pick three, four players from their opponent too. And so it makes you work both sides of it. I think it would be fun to see again. Of course, I do have to note that a particular favorite year for me was 2015. And that is when uh, I started writing articles with MLS Fantasy, becoming part of, of that sort of extended MLS community. I still remember getting an email from Andrew Wiebe and talking to him at, at work. Uh, after work, after work, he called me and uh, and I was talking to him and he was asking me some questions and I said, oh, so you've seen my stuff. And he said something on the lines of, yeah, man, that's my job. And I just like it. I just I guess it was such a stupid thing to say, but um, it's it's always been a very cool moment for me because it really 
I'd already begun, I guess, taking some steps down this community building and, and journey to, to this being coming a part of this community. But that was definitely a, a leap right there to really help getting the, the viewership and just the exposure to be able to connect with people like you who are listening right now and to produce things like this for, for the fans who are listening right now and meet these guys right here that that have uh, become so cool and uh, I eventually got to meet Andrew Wiebe last year at Cincinnati game and have been able to talk to lots of cool people at MLS since then so uh, that's a particular fun year for me and I still remember a lot of the people we had a whole big fantasy writing crew from from that time and now it's just it's just me and Skyler now that's that's what's <laughs> left that's what's left uh, so that is the history lesson, the brief history lesson. Uh, if you enjoyed this, perhaps I'll try to work up something at MLSFantasyBoss.com, a little a little shorter version, uh, maybe get some screenshots or something to show people what we had that was just supposed to be for fun, to kind of fill the void. Um, and now we have some more fun. This is why we have Ryan here with us. He's wearing his shirt. We went out, we threw some questions out there. We talked about the handball rule last week and Ryan said, oh, I can help talk about that. So we brought him on. We're going to talk about the new handball rule and some other weird rules that people either don't really understand or just wanted some more questions about. Some of these are general soccer related. Some of these are fantasy related, often stats related. So we're going to mention a few things here before I open it up to who we have with us in chat tonight and so ryan will just let you get started let's uh should we let ryan start or, or mike and blaine you all want to phrase the handball question to ryan first nope. after you <laughs> after us so ryan uh we're here to talk about handballs first there's there's been some changes in what defines a handball if was it ever really defined, though? Could we say that? Is it hand-to-ball or just ball-to-hand? What is it? So The, uh, the NFL community will recognize the, but what is a catch? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, disclaimer here. So when you said pro and I was making the joke, I'm not actually with pro. This is this is, this is is U.S. soccer. This is not pro. So, um, <laughs> But it's funnier. That's how we know he actually knows yeah. what the rules are. It's so just to yes, make sure yeah, yeah, it's, uh, The badge means I know the rules. No, actually, that's, uh, <laughs> it means I have to look up the rules for maybe 5% of the time. But, yeah. Um, so the new handball rule is that any goal scored or created with the use of the hand or the arm will be disallowed even if it's accidental. So there was that. Who's, who brought up that one incident with um, it hit off of his head, and then it nicked just the top of his hand and went into the goal, and it was called back then by VAR because uh, it hit his hand. And if a goal is scored with the use of the arm, no matter if it's accidental, that means that it is uh, taken back. So that's that's for attacking players. But then they made some changes for defenders as well, which um, allowed defenders a, a bit more leeway. So there wasn't really some definition around when a player was using his support arm and uh, whether the, if the ball hit it, uh, that whether that would be considered a handling offense. And this happened too frequently in the penalty area. So there was a lot of penalty kicks that were called and some that were not called. Uh, and so it was just really inconsistent. And so they actually did clarify now, or they changed the rule to say, these are not usually a handling offense. Uh, now, again, that's still vague language, but it's much more specific 
They did say specifically, though, um, that if a uh, if a player who is using his arm as a support when falling or sliding, as long as the arm is not um, extended to make the body bigger, then they will not consider that to be a handling offense. Because so that's that more of a safety of, thing, right? Yeah, well, that's, yeah, they don't want people, players trying to fall to the ground without their arm for support. So it's like um, they're trying to allow defenders to make defensive plays without, you know, kind of endangering their, their team. They don't want p- players to make dangerous plays just for their team's um, success. Like, you know, you don't want somebody doing something you don't want somebody doing something silly like uh uh making some sort of dangerous tackle that's for danger for themselves and for the other player uh just to save their team which is why partly why the red card exists (laughs) Um, so yeah you just you want to keep the game safe you want to keep the game um fair even for defenders i say even for defenders i'm a goalkeeper so you know, I, I always think it should be fair for defenders, but <laughs> I, I feel like no, I feel like it's a fair comment because I know this sort of goes over into diving conversations, but that that does seem harsh on the defender. Like everything's against them that that they're going to get penalized for somebody who's trying to pull a call on them. They're going to get penalized for trying to do a, a slide tackle if they're even just trying to keep themselves from being injured. And so I, I could see how a lot of these rules could be phrased as like, come on, give defenders a break. Yeah. And I have clarified as well. If you put your arm above your head, that's almost never a natural position or above the shoulder. <laughs> I think that's what it is. Um, yeah. If you're above the shoulder height, you can almost always jump without raising your hands above your shoulders. So if it's above your shoulder, you're probably going to get called. You're, you're taking mm-hmm. a, you're taking a risk. That's the actual law says you're taking a risk by having the hand <laughs> arm in that position. So, um, including when you're sliding. So if you slide and you put your arm up like this, even to like block your head, you're probably going to be blocking the, 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 if you block the ball in that case, that would be considered handling as well. So just, keep your arm tucked in or underneath you and then that's and that's fine uh that's been i think so far that's made things a little bit clear uh the u.s is because of the mls season uh is about half half a year behind when other season other leagues implement these ipad laws so we've seen it in other locations play out much better with more consistency as to the refs actually called. So do they have any stats or, or just idea of how many potential goals the old rule caused or prevented? Like how many handballs happened that should have been handballs but weren't called handballs but they saved a goal or deflected a goal or how many times did they maybe wrongfully call it on a player and have a PK score. Do they have any idea? I'm I'm sure that they have that internally. It's not published anywhere Boom. as far as I know. Boo! <laughs> Transparency in soccer. Let's do it. Transparency. I'm, I'm not sure that that would be even like a, a great one to publish publicly. Like we determined that this one was not uh, was not a questionable call, and you know, like that kind of thing is just. No, I wouldn't I, publish that. I want there. Anyways. I want there to be some guy named Ron who is like comes out. It's like I have been in a room. <laughs> For three years, I have watched every game, examined every goal, and I have determined this. And be like, "Thank you, Ron." Here, they might have a complaint system. 
They might have a uh, complaint that's system where if they get a certain number of complaints about a certain thing, like official complaints from teams, um, that might be a way to quantify some of these types of things a little bit more. Can you imagine if we had like a complaint system for fantasy? That would be wild. <laughs> the things, I mean, it's pretty much just like at James and Ben at this point, I guess, but that could be what we just had like an automated click here for complaint. I would love I to just see some I thought that's what Mike rule was. it's just it's the mike show that's where mike gets his his materials from all the time Uh, okay the next i'm going to talk about this was a question um that came from reddit and it's about opta and it wants to know and i don't know if you know anything about this ryan wants to know basically how does opta record a file a foul when an advantage is called and from my examination of the opta rules and Opta has definitions for all of the stats that they keep, even some that are related to fantasy. They have rules for how this is. It doesn't sound like to me that Opta actually records a foul for that a player earned or a foul against a player for conceding, un- unless, and this is going to sound stupid, unless it's actually called. So if the player does something but advantage comes in, it seems like unless the advantage that goes away and they pull it back, there is yeah. no foul It doesn't exist. I don't think that those are recorded. And even though I would, I would, um, I'm on the Slack channel for American Soccer Analysis, and they, uh, there's another guy who actually runs the MLS Ref Stats mm. cha- uh, Twitter account out there, which is he's a much more experienced ref than I am and knows a heck of a lot more than I do. <laughs> uh, and he said uh, that his guess is no, but I don't think anybody knows for sure. Uh, at this point but i i don't think i've seen anything that would indicate that they acknowledge those uh sometimes advantage is not demonstrated with the use of the one arm or two arms and so they just say like play on or advantage but only the players can really hear that when they yell it out so um i would guess that we we don't know this for sure however from a statistical perspective, that would be a, a fascinating thing to go in and, and actually look for that. So two follow-up comments. Oh, sorry, you said and. Yeah. Uh, no, I, I just think from a uh, from that perspective, it would help more with uh, predictiveness of mm. fouls. Now, how often that happens in a game? Maybe five or six times is my guess. Uh, but... And, and the total number of fouls in the game is anywhere from 40 to 60 typically. So at least in MLS, there might be, you know, youth soccer, maybe there's more or less, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, MLS it's between like, I think 45 and 55 is the average for, for MLS referees. So, my two um, so it might not change. It might not change that, that much, but it would be helpful for be cool. knowing how, yeah, how many times referees actually wave play on. Uh, my two follow-up comments to that are, are one, I'm actually wondering now, what if we did have, like we used to be able to pick a, a coach to be a part of your fantasy team. What if we could pick a referee <laughs> as part of your oh. fantasy team now that to have some some stats related, I don't know about if they're calling or if they're correct or if they come back or if VAR's involved. Like that could be interesting if we had some, some referee stats as well that you would pick 
for that. Well, if you wanted to pay referees as much as you pay players, then maybe it wouldn't be an issue. Not that I'm I'm saying I'm oh. saying refs should oh. not take bribes. They don't take bribes. Oh my gosh, 99% of the time. Oh my gosh. I'm just I, <laughs> if if refs were paid well, then it wouldn't be as big of an issue. But fans are getting I'm, hot. Somebody somebody's got to do that though. We're like, being honest now. There's some <laughs> there's somebody who actually has has made some prop bets on certain referees. Sure. I'm sure there's got to be somebody that's done that. Uh, second comment is Andrew Crawler makes a very good uh, point. Uh, the OG complaint system, Mike, is gonna be Guy, Mister Guy Sanchez's podcast rants from a few years ago. Uh, the man was an expert, and yes, tip your glasses all to Mister Guy Sanchez uh, and uh, hot garbage himself for for the rants that he would have for for fantasy. So yes, for sure, right there. Um, no, the author definitions are really interesting. So I would suggest that people go and look, particularly when they're talking about assists. That's that's one thing I see a lot from fantasy players is um, why is that an assist? Who is that not an assist? And Ryan, uh, yeah. you can answer this in just a second. But I know um, we see a lot of those times. I think they fall down to the deflection from a defender and how much that deflection impacts if it would have been on target or wasn't going to be on is that what it really comes down to is that defensive interference or is it more of the placement of the pass before the interference oh i don't know actually no no that's i think about it that that seems to be when you look at the rules for the all the fantasy players who are wondering about why did my player not get an assist i saw a lot of that even the first couple weeks of this season oh the okay i'm sorry i thought you were talking about second assists so oh no second assists are garbage but um <laughs> that would that would make sense though if there's a deflection and how much that deflection actually impacted the pass. I mean that would make that would be the most um, consistent way of defining it, le- uh, least vague way of defining an assist, I guess, um, is the pass preceding the shot. Um, yeah, and provided that there was no interference with it, right? And I and I think there may be some nuance to it that if if your ball could have gotten to the player but it was deflected and your another player picks it up and scores and you might still get an assist because there was still that chance but if it's just you were sending a ball in yeah. it nicked off somebody's head and then it just landed at somebody's feet and dink it goes in then mm-hmm. then it's no yeah. but that's a lot of what it comes down to i don't know from just practical application i think you get it you still may get the assist for fantasy at least if the ball goes to the intended target, even if there is a deflection, if it's who the pass was obviously to, they'll go ahead and tally it and score it. But if it's a deflection at all, and it looks like it didn't reach its intended target, even if the intended target cleans it up, like that immediately goes to a defensive action and it's an unassisted goal. Uh, But you bring up second assists and I think they're garbage. Mike, what about you? I think they're fantastic. I thought he was going to say that based on his reaction when I said that. I think they're garbage. I don't I don't see why that's important. Like, why do we care about second assist more than third assist? Why don't we talk about like second clearances or, or third clear or it's I I just think that is a garbage stat that doesn't mean anything, especially with how shoddy it is in its application of how much someone contributes to being able to give the pass that set up the guy to get his goal. I just I just think it's ridiculous and dumb. 
goalkeeper I'm... secondary assist. That says all you need to know. Like when a goalkeeper can get an assist and three points, it's a valid stat to have, and I love it. Garbage. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, was it uh, uh, Bingham in was it week one or week yes. two? This year? Yes, Bingham had it. Turner got a few last year, I think. I mean, perfect. It just seemed it just seems so much more so much more luck based of if your pass happened to set that player up. I mean, the assist is I'm I'm Julian. I've actually found it more consistent. Like when I compare it like to FPL, like who gets the end assist, like can fluctuate, but in MLS, secondary assists usually between first and secondary assists, that's pretty consistent. So that's why I actually kinda like the stat because it shows you who is at the center of the offense. And so I think that ends up measuring, at least in fantasy-wise, you get a better sense of who that player is, and it rewards you with identifying that player. So even though there's some frustrations around the stat, I don't think there's that much different frustrations between secondary assists and the first assists as far as I can see in practicality. It seems like ultimately it's subjective, and it's still pretty subjective. It's just you know, whether or not you want to reward that extra action. And to me, I do because that pass is usually pretty important. Um, mm-hmm. That's that's almost just as, mostly just as important as the first assist because that's usually the pass that unlocks the defense. That it's to the person who gets the primary assist and they just, you know, pass in for a tap in. That's usually what happens. So I actually like the secondary assist. I think it measures something. I wish it was kind of its own stat. I wouldn't have a problem if it was like measuring yeah. Is a different um, weight. Uh, I think the problem is MLS counts it identical to assist. Yep. Yeah. Um, it's good for content creators too, like like us. I mean, the whole Valeri Blanco conversation would completely change if you started taking away all the secondary assists. Isn't the real reason MLS has them is in order to boost player values? Like, oh, they have assists. Because- <laughs> You know those teams in England don't actually check MLS and don't realize the secondary assists are counted. Like Newcastle maybe. didn't check. Like we know Newcastle didn't check before they bought Biggie. <laughs> yeah, he's it actually good. adds thirty percent. So second assists add thirty percent to the number of assists total assists. Wow. Out there. Wow. I had to when I was creating my projection stats, I had to take the number of assists according to wherever I was getting the data, and actually multiply it by one point three in order to just guess at what assists were being counted um uh so that was interesting i'll just say that part that's crazy that's wild oh well they're garbage um but you mentioned we mentioned defenders a second ago that was another question we had came in from reddit uh why and how is splitting of cpis into their own categories how has that impacted defenders so didn't cover this in the history uh, I didn't. I just didn't get this deep into the rules when I was looking. I was looking at more the surface level. But back in the day, in the early 2010s, uh, the defender generating points. It was a combined stat of CBIs, clearances, blocks, interceptions. Was all one stat. And every time you got six of those, that would give you one fantasy point. In the more modern version of the game, uh, again, I don't know if it's split with uh, this this current, this 1920, or if it's split two or three years before then but uh, there was a split at one point and now clearances blocks interceptions and tackles are each their own stat and they each have their own particular thresholds of generating a a point most of them being four so they knocked it down a little bit uh how has that impacted defenders i don't 
I've not looked at the numbers. I don't think it's impacted them terribly a lot. Uh, I think people they're still generating maybe a little bit more, a few more points, but it's it tends to help the different positions in different ways. Like your more wing backs are going to be getting some more of those um, interceptions, and and the center backs are going to be getting more of those blocks yeah. and clearances. So it it sort of helps it tailor to the different defender roles. And I don't know why yeah. it was split, but that's my assumption is yeah. to to really help each defender see how how they're getting those those points. And it it didn't hurt that they lowered the threshold. So it's it's still mm-hmm. um, instead of having to get 6 in each, which definitely would have penalized defender point generation for sure if they left it at 6. So lowering the threshold did help. Yeah. Yeah. Andrew says in chat that it did increase defensive points by a little bit there we go um when they put this in um one of the things i noticed almost instantly is you had guys that were kind of jack of all trades doing a little bit of everything defensively and they really benefited from that flat six for all of them yeah Yeah. because they could they would they would rack up those points now your center backs usually get your clearances or your aerial interceptions they they specialize in certain things Mm -hmm. wingbacks get ball recoveries a lot which is a different i I don't know if that was included in the defensive points. I don't think it was, but How about, what was and also blocks were those included? Block, yeah, blocks, think, blocks for CBIs. It was just clearances, blocks, and interceptions. Recoveries yeah, has always been a bread and butter stat for goalkeepers. Yeah, okay, yeah, but they had a the guys that specialized in doing one thing well, or that were positionally set up to do one thing well, really benefited from this because it lowered the threshold for getting yeah. points. And if you had a guy getting six points for interceptions a game or six interceptions a game, getting one point, go to this new system where the threshold's three. Now he's getting two points a game. And it really did help for those guys that specialized, but it did hurt some of your jack of all trades players quite a bit. I think it really helped the, the uh, outside backs, the fullbacks, because they, I mean, they may get assists here and there, but that's few and far between and if they're not getting those consistent uh, clearances, if a clearance is worth the same amount as a uh, block, for instance, which is another thing altogether. I, I don't understand why you still need two blocks to get a point because they basically never happen. Uh, <laughs> um, but if the clearance is worth the same as a block, if somebody were to get a block, that's such a rare occurrence that uh, compared to a clearance, um, that I mean, you can easily get, you know, a, a central defender can easily get six clearances in the game, um, especially if they're if they're um, kind of doing the the sit back and and wait for the other team, so to speak. Uh, uh, what's it called? Bunker encounter. There we go. Um, that's that. I think that that's that really helped get some of those players that do have like like you said recoveries and interceptions that are more involved in the uh, defending phases leading up to the back line. Uh, and I think that really helped those players, which m- and maybe helped defensive midfield a little bit more, although th- although maybe they were more jack-of-all-trades before. I don't know. That is the next question about, uh, is there any way to help fan- fantasy reward D-mids, which uh, this seems clearly something that helped defenders. Uh, but you did mention the recoveries, and like I said, um, for goalkeepers, that's really been a bread and butter stat for goalkeepers because so much about a goalkeeper is 
dependent upon a clean sheet happening, which is a very important part of their job, but just one goal, and it can completely trash mm-hmm. your goalkeeper's score, where a defender could easily rack up three bonus points and it not really be a huge impact. He could still get a five-point game with that, which is a, a, a very respectable score for a team that, that concedes. Um, but mm-hmm. a goalkeeper can be ruined off of that, or you're hoping, are you hoping for a PK to get a PK save? Because some of these things just don't happen a lot. Yeah, It's, it's really... Um, those those saves that helps but you run a high risk of conceding if that's going to happen mm-hmm. and so recoveries has always been a bread and butter stat for goalkeepers because it's an mm-hmm. easy way for them to build up a few extra points a couple of points around to help up their score so if you find a keeper with a lot of recoveries that's usually been a pretty good indicator of if he might be a, a good producer over the year but their their points are usually so close to each other and their prices aren't that different that it's really hard to find huge value with with goalkeepers mm-hmm. in my opinion yeah yeah so since we're on recoveries and we're talking d mids i ran through some of the top defensive midfielders for just the two games that we have right now um guys like godoy and archer and alexander ring ozzy alonzo um the, the primary stat where they're getting their bonus points right now is in ball recoveries which is c- counted in the fantasy page if you want to dig in that far um few of them get other points here and there passing is huge ring is um excelling because he's picking up his interceptions i think it's four for a point um and he's getting those every game along with the ball recoveries but that's the one thing i'm seeing for all the defensive midfielders right now is recoveries um very low on the clearances i don't think any of the top guys have any bonus points for clearances yet this year um so it's kind of interesting they do get their they do get the bulk of their points from ball recoveries or that's kind of their standard stat. Um, as we go about trying to make defensive midfielders relevant, I don't think you can do that without adding a separate scoring metric for um, that position. And that breaks them out of being a true midfielder. And that gets really tough to do in the game, the way it's built. That's, that is definitely the one position I feel is just lost in the game i mean you have lots of options for your defenders if you want to go with someone who's going to be more offensive minded or defensive minded you of course have your your offensive midfielders and your offensive forwards instead of your playmakers right there but all those guys all have those great point generating abilities but defensive midfielders i feel like are this huge gap that they're fantastic they've they've been consistent point producers but their high floor just seems to get lost in the realm of what is useful for your fantasy team, especially in this era of a double game week only counting for the highest point. So uh, I don't know. I wish, well, and especially with um, unlimited transfers, you know, it, mm-hmm. you know, because you could like True. try. I'm going to bank True. on a D mid because um, he's cheaper and he'll play consistently because that's not a position that rotates a lot. Yeah, you're right. Um, just put him there. He'll earn me some cheap points, and I can focus my transfers and my budget on other players. So, but once you're on limited transfers each week, having that high floor, that's not going to win you prizes. You know, you're right. He's like a set and forget player in a in a limited transfer system. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, that's a very good point. Exactly. I mean, even show league doesn't really have a great D mid stat. I mean, I think there's a like a few rules that can kind of capture them, but generally those are your bottom of the barrel rules that you're using if you're playing 
nine games that week or something. Mm -hmm. You're just desperate. Yeah, I was going to say, the most use I get out of defensive midfielders, other than Jan Gregus, who just tears it up going forward pretty consistently, and as a set-piece taker, like, I use them in my draft league. Um, getting those five, six, seven points a, a game pretty consistently just helped to raise that floor and draft. And when, when a good week is between 60 and 70 points, you need to get six to seven points per player. And that puts me right where I need to be. So it doesn't feel like a wasted spot. You're mentioning tackles, Ryan. Yeah. So I, tackles was one stat that I noticed if I, I went to who scored and just looked up who were the leading, the league leaders in tackles and a lot of them are defenders, but a lot of them are also defensive mids. And mm -hmm. so maybe reducing tackles from four to three mm. uh, may help some of these defensive mids. It looks like the total number of attempted tackles is, for the best defensive mids, is around eight per game. Um, so right now, the most that defensive mids could get from tackles is pretty much like two points. Um, so you could make it something like that although there are some other in other players in here like defenders that would be more like we got justin glad alvis powell uh are these some of the some of these outside backs maybe yeah yeah so here's here's so that might help both outside backs and uh, yeah if you drop tackles from four to three i mean i'm just looking at some numbers here uh gray goose has three tackles in both games so that would be two extra points for his which puts him up there. That would actually make him the number one scoring. Well, let me check Jack Price really quick, see if he would get bonuses. But that I mean that that's the difference between him being number one and number two for all midfielders right now. Um, yeah, go ahead. Uh, I was just thinking two two crazy things with this as you mentioned it. You could I like the idea of of changing the numbers. You could do it positional that it still takes four for a defender but maybe three for a midfielder to get that stat that could help have some value with that position but uh you you could also maybe give defensive instead of instead of subtractions for fouls maybe give them bonus points for fouls that they earn or create because that's kind of their job is to slow everything down getting those fouls so maybe not necessarily giving them a yellow or a negative one if they get a a, uh, a yellow card or something but maybe fouls they create could be a, a point generating stat for them i don't know that's a crazy thing it, out there so so it, it's somewhat matchup dependent but as we look at some of the stats and dig into them the other one i'm seeing for a lot of defensive midfielders is their passing stats Yes. Um, it's a very safe passing option for them usually. They're either recovering the ball and back passing, which really helps up their completion percentage and just counts as a pass, and all that link-up play. Um, the majority of the top-ranked defensive midfielders are grabbing a bonus point a game from passing, sometimes two, and that that's huge for them. I know Jack, Jack Price is up there right now. He's gotten the two-point passing bonus in both games along with the ball recovery bonus so that's that's three points a game plus his minutes so five points a game floor right there without doing anything else and he's adding in crosses and key passes as well but i mean that really does bring their floor up to five then you're looking for those few extra things they can get as well but yeah, I, I think, I think the, the passing score for them oh, go ahead Oh, I think the threshold for the passing score needs to change a little bit. I just don't like 
where it's at because it seems kind of arbitrary and you could have a guy put together 80 90 passes but doesn't get the percentage that he needs mm. because it's just going but he's been a workhorse all game but he gets one zero or one bonus point even though he's well over the number of passes threshold i just think it it's a stat that could be refined a little bit and i think it's going to help your guys like this a lot this is where fractional points may actually provide some help if we were to say for every successful pass you get x for every unsuccessful pass you get negative x y whatever um so it, it that way we can still incentivize good passing which honestly uh, defensive midfielders have some of the best percentage-wise passing statistics out there, besides like central defenders, because uh, they usually have pretty easy passes <laughs> yeah. to each other. <laughs> um, uh, but defensive midfielders actually have pretty good passing stats, and they are actually extremely involved in their team. So I'm going to go ahead and list off the the players that are most involved in their teams. Uh, in the, by number of passes. This is from American Soccer Analysis, year uh, 2019. It's Nicolas Lodero, who's a attacking midfielder. Okay, fine. Then you have Jonathan Dos Santos, central defender, central uh, CDM. Edward Atuesta, central midfielder. Carlos Heel, who's categorized as a central midfielder. Um, Liam Frazier, central midfielder. Heritage Madunian, central defensive midfielder. Midfielder Jan Gregu, central defensive midfielder. Uh, Saren, uh, Greg Garza. So there's there's a few like wing backs and stuff like that thrown in here, and a couple more attacking players, but largely it's central midfielders and central defender, central defensive midfielders. So that might be a, a a stat that I I think was originally intended, originally designed to boost them, which is why they have the eighty five percent completion or accuracy rule they didn't want those players that are just racking up high risk passes on the front end of things to be able to get those those passing boosts um and if if you if you look at here so lodero ended up having a passing percentage of 73 percent on average and so on average he wouldn't have gotten missed it. it yeah but dos santos atuesta frazier Medun okay medunian was 82 percent but those other three there who are central midfielders, at least maybe more, if not uh, more deeply lying central midfielders, um, they all had passing averages above 85%. So I can see why the 85% is a decent threshold. And so we're not just stacking points onto players like Lodero, but he doesn't need more points, you know? <laughs> um, so I, I think that's, my original opinion was that we shouldn't, you know, have the percentage at all. We should just give a certain number of points for a number of passes, but that would disproportionately um, add more players to the mix who aren't de central defensive midfielders. So I like the fact that we have a little bit of a system that goes, uh, that allows them to, to make that amount of points. However, the 35 passes, maybe that should be lowered to 20 or something like that. I mean, maybe that's yeah. Cool. I'm, I'm thinking like break the two out. Like I'd love to see them as separate stats completely. Oh, yeah. Do number of passes and I, and I'm fine with completed passes too. They don't even have to just mm -hmm. be hopeful ones. Yeah. Um, and yeah. one through one through four points, do it at 40, 40, 60, 70 and 80. And you add those on at the top end a little bit faster and then do yeah. your, your 75%, your 85% passing 
give them two and three points each for that if you hit those thresholds. And maybe even throw up there as a 90 or a 95%, give them four points or whatever. Just break it out where your guys that are really making good passes all game long and a bunch of them can stack up those points. Yeah. And like right now, a goal is worth five points. Mm-hmm. 175 passes would be worth five points <laughs> at 85%. Is that, I mean, how much impact did a player have on a team? compared to a goal i mean really they they i mean they probably had the most impact on the team if they, they were got, the team they were the team if that's the <laughs> yeah. case and so it, like should they be only getting five points at that point why should they be getting <laughs> 10 points for that kind of a, a rack up there um so yeah, i think yeah those types of players that can be really involved on the back end of things i do think that these types of stats we should reward um so that we can have these types of higher floor players that yeah, uh, you know Jonathan Dos Santos, his attacking scores were poor in 2019. He didn't really um, contribute much to that last pass before the shot. He didn't get very many assists. He didn't take very many shots. But his um, uh, what what American soccer analysis calls the expected buildup or the um, the oh, I'm trying to remember here. The, basically the on the possession chain to get to that goal he was just he was just monstrous like he played a role in a, the majority of the goals that the LA Galaxy scored and so you'd think that should be worth something and that's where I think this passing these passing stats could be uh, boofed, uh, boofed <laughs> boosted a little bit no, I think it's a great conversation to have and maybe something we can look at. Uh, in the future, that that uh, the next the next version of the game, uh, Andrew makes makes a great comment here. Uh, we mentioned it, I think, a week or two ago. He likes the idea of a dedicated D mid slot uh, yeah. that maybe has some different scoring. So that could be another if we wanted to even make some more changes. Uh, final question before we get the listeners. I know we have at least one question in the listener queue. Uh, how do you find undervalued players? This is for you particularly, Ryan. Uh, what what stats do you find are the best way to get back into the game that is something that's on fantasy managers' minds as prices do climb? What I know there can't be a silver bullet. Maybe you're going to give me a silver bullet, but there's usually not a silver bullet. But what are some ways people can look at the stats to try to identify players on an uptick in potential value? Yeah, so why are players undervalued? Players are undervalued because they haven't produced points that their underlying numbers would have projected they would have done that. So either that or people just like to ignore high point scores for personal reasons. So to each their own, it doesn't, <laughs> um, maybe you just really don't like that player and you don't want to choose him. I don't know. But um, I, yeah, so if you can find a stat that predicts future return for a or future um uh, performance in a particular area better than just looking at the stat itself, then that's the kind of stats that you want to look for. So for me, I mean, the obvious ones are expected goals, expected assists. And so there's there's players that will have taken three shots and scored two goals. That's not likely to be sustainable. <laughs> so like there was a Hassani Dotson last year when he scored those two just absolute bangers. Um, people were starting to pick him up in fantasy and 
I was warning against it because he had, I think at that point, he had basically taken like three shots and the two goals that he scored were both from outside the box. So low percentage shots and somehow he scored two, but that's just variance. That's, I guess, luck. You can say some people can say, yeah, that's finishing skill, but eh, a sample size of three. I don't think I'd judge a person on their finishing <laughs> skill at that point. Sure, sure. <laughs> um, so that's the type of thing that you want to look for is those really the the players that have had a lot of opportunities to do things but just for some reason it hasn't worked out so that's why zardes at one point um was it last year? Blaine. was a was a was a big <laughs> blame yeah uh zardes was a big uh big guy for me because i think his his numbers were he was pretty low um on his actual output compared to where he should have been producing so to speak and a lot of people say well that's due to his first touch well I don't know. I, it's it could be due to that, um, but the, or his finishing skill. Some people say that as well. But uh, we in the analytics community like to say that finishing skill matters if you're messy, and if you're <laughs> not messy, then it, it it really doesn't play that big of a difference into how well you're actually able to perform. There we go. So um, so really look for those stats that that say this person has had a lot of opportunities and whether luck has fallen their way. You know. How many shots did the guy hit off the post? That's just bad luck, man. You know, <laughs> um, if he's got a bunch of shots, he's probably going to get a bunch of goals. Um, if he takes shots closer to the goal, he's going to get more goals usually. And if those two are not lining up, then then that's how you can kind of look for those players. We got two Andrews in chat who are throwing out some good questions right now, so we're just going to jump right into our listener questions here. Um, I like what Andrew Crawler says with do you guys account for matchup tactics when considering player picks example cbs versus the galaxy since la is crossing the ball a million times each game and i think that hits on the the spirit of the game now and and what we're being asked for now instead of the strategy of long-term planning and mapping out your trades and reacting to some of those curveballs is exactly what Andrew is saying. And that can be hard to try to understand the tactics of each team, the weaknesses of each team, and the strengths of the other team and find the teams that can best exploit the uh, matchup that they have each week, that that is the goal. So I think that's exactly that Andrew hits the nail on the head. That's exactly what we should all be trying to find. And that can be one of the hardest things. I know for a fact that Andrew's very good at tactics uh, and has studied them and implemented them a lot on his own. So, um, But that is exactly what we're trying to find. Do you guys find yourself leaning to that when you're picking your teams, or do you look more at just some of your go-to stats? What about you, Mike? Um, I don't use it as much as, as maybe that. Because, I mean, like, for example, in that scenario that Andrew threw out, CBs against the Galaxy, my question then is, like, okay, do I think that because of that, they can keep a clean sheet or not. Um, and, you know, we've, we've talked a lot about defensive points. The main thing for defenders is whether they keep a clean sheet or not. So that doesn't really necessarily help me as much. Now, maybe for more of the midfielders or the wingers <laughs> or the wingbacks, that might change more. But, um, yeah, I, I don't I don't really necessarily use it a t- terrible amount because it's usually can they score goals – and I mean, just most of the time, especially with the unlimited transfers, it's like I can usually find, you know, two or three fours and four midfielders who are going to have good weeks because they're just playing trash teams. So that kind of 
next level analysis isn't really necessary most of the time. Maybe I was terrible last year. Maybe I need to get better at it. But that's just kind of what I found when I've when I've tried to do it. It hasn't necessarily rewarded me points as as much as you would think. I find I use them for differential picks a lot more. Um, like Mike said, it's really hard with the Galaxy one. Like last year was is the big example of that. And when you have Zlatan in the <clears throat> Galaxy offense, it's really hard to pick against them for a clean sheet. Um, that's just not something that was favorable. But if I don't like any clean sheet chances anywhere else, or I've already got two defenders and a forward or a defender and a goalkeeper in another position or whatever from another team, and I'm not tripling up on one of the few clean sheet chances I see, then yeah, this is exactly where I go. I start looking at the guys who are getting consistent bonus points and they're playing a team that's going to play favorably into their style and go with that. Um, it can be really good for some of your wingers, both midfielders and forwards, depending on who's going to put in a lot of crosses and defenses that are going to allow them to do that. Um, that. So knowing how teams play can definitely help you pick up some of those cheaper differentials that a lot of people might overlook because they're just not putting up consistent points, even though on the field they're doing good work and they're just, you're waiting for that one one game where they're going to really pay off fantasy-wise. And the second question that we have from Andrew Barnacle is, he was wondering with our conversation we were just having about uh, pricing and, and some of the values there, are we concerned, let me get the exact phrasing, uh, do we see that high-level players like Vela or Morris are uh, are uh, getting priced out early on in the year, making the need for these types of players that we were just talking about, some of these values, um, or are they just going to end up raising prices to accommodate the higher prices? So, uh, again, I, I think that's, again, part of what the ask is this year, and it's not to load up our teams with the highest players. We're going to be asked to make some tough choices. So, I guess it depends on what you mean by priced out. I think we will have situations this year where we will all have that thought of, is Vela worth his price based on the points I can expect from him? Or could I spend that money on two players and get more points from them that maybe aren't a marquee player? I think the pricing system will encourage that this year to actually think about where do I want to put the money to get the best bang for my buck for my fantasy team. And I like that. I like this mm-hmm. element of strategy with the fantasy game. So if if by priced out you mean that, then then yes. I don't think that's what you mean. I think you're meaning in the vein of what we were talking about, do we think we're going to have a, a whole midfield of D-mids because I can't afford anybody else because I want to get a forward and I want to get a defender and now I'm out of money. Um, I don't think we're going to see that. Mm-hmm. I really wish we could have gone one more week because then we would have had three weeks of stats and three is the magical number for when we start getting some price changes and actual flushing out of what a player probably should have been priced more at at the beginning of the season um so i wish we had gotten one more week because at the beginning of the year mls just uploads basically three placeholder numbers to get their average and Mm -hmm. and as those phase out and there's a weighted it's a weighted average depending on recency so as those all phase out we we see a bit a bit more of where someone should have been so i really wish we'd yeah. see more read on this topic one of my favorite stats and it's actually on the mls fantasy game is uh points per million or points per price 
and that is fascinating to watch and really fun to build your team based around that and kind of experiment with it. I wish it could become a bigger part of the game because there's huge implications for what content we can create and how you can pick a team and mathematics plays into that. But you, you start getting into it. You take Vela plus somebody else and you start adding their points from their expected points or their points per million together and find those numbers. And then you replace Vela and that player or a group of players with the same number of players with um, lower value or same team overall value, but that you spread it out differently and see who gives you the better points per million on that. Vela at a certain point, I mean, if he gets up to the hypothetical 18 million that we think about, if he only gets 10 points, you're now at whatever number that is. I'm just not doing the math on the fly, but you've now invested 18 million for 10 points. If you, in, and let's say you at, you had to take a 6 million or a 4 million defender, a 4.5 million defender. Now you've invested 22 million, 22 and a half million for, um, say he, the defender gets three for 21 points. What if you spread that 18 out or that 22 million, 23 million out over a few 7 million average players, you, you change that. Are you going to expect a better or worse return than that 21 points, whatever it's going to get? I mean, you start looking at that and you see where, where you can make your money do the most work, not who's going to give you the most single points. And when you've got that budget cap so tight, which I think we're going to get to this year, you're going to see that stat come in. And it's something I'm intrigued to see towards the end of this season is if we're having to start make decisions based on hypothetical points that they're going to get for every million dollars you spend on a player, or if you, if you're going to want to break, uh, avoid Vela because he's, while he may give you a huge return, it's not the most efficient use of your money week in and week out. One thing I want to add on this topic about whether prices are going to get um, changed is that I expect with the rescheduling and the suspension, we're going to have a lot more double game weeks. And from what I can tell in the price system in the past, those are not favorable to the players. For example, if Vela comes on and just does a cameo for 10 minutes and doesn't happen to score a goal, that really hurts the system in the price. That'll usually end up being a negative 1 million mm -hmm. drop now, depending on what he does, you know, the other part of that game, double game week. But that, that can really hurt players too. And what it seems like that's what we can expect, assuming there's no more... Um, extensions of the suspension or, or whatnot and MLS tries to cram you know two months of missed games into the rest of this year even if they extend the season by a little bit you're going to have to have a lot of double game weeks um, especially with a lot of these teams not having their own stadiums and having problems with the fall um, in Seattle uh, Atlanta and especially New York City trying to deal with schedules of other teams including teams who may have re you know rescheduled their own games even Houston, you know, the Dynamo never schedules their home games to at the same time as the Houston Astros. How is that all going to work? Bottom line is MLS is going to have a massive schedule crunch. It means massive double game weeks. And so I think that's going to really impact and limit players' scoring potential. Not even just because of, the, you know, you're going to have those ones because of players substituting in and out. Players are just going to be tired. Mm -hmm. uh, we don't know what kind of run-up they're going to get after, you know, the suspension is lifted, how much training camp they're going to get. But I mean, essentially they're going to be in preseason again. 
Uh, it's almost like a regular, you know, Premier League European off season. I know it's short by MLS American standards because we were off from October to February, for Christ's sake. But uh, so they're, they're just not going to be as well rested. They're not going to be as sharp. Mm-hmm. It's just going to – I just don't see that being a problem with the schedule that we're going to get. Now, yeah. if we have a fantasy game in 2021 and everything is normal again, maybe that might be an issue. But for this season, I would throw that out the window. Yeah, yeah. Um, late game cameos are going to be great for us as players when we're not getting really upset that stars are not starting. Um, Vela, if if Vela is a guy that rests on some like massive double game weeks in a row, if Vela is a guy that does rest and only comes in for late game cameos, he's going to shed value so fast with that. It's going to bring his average down. It's going to make him probably fluctuate quite a bit. One week he's going to be 13, 14 million. Then if he has, starts two games in a row and does well, he's going to be back up 15, 16 with this 1 million price jump at a time. But then he's going to get another cameo role and shed another million. And it's going to, he's just going to go back and forth. And I think that's going to help keep some of the prices from inflating too bad before the end of the season with what we're expected to see. Because cameos are horrible for value, but they're great in a fixed budget system because it's going to help players shed that value that they've built up over time. Final thoughts, Ryan, before we wrap up? Yeah, so the, I, I think the this value-correcting model ideally tries to make it so that a player is worth the number of points that they get. Um, so if you've got, let's say, a team, you've got, what, what have we got, 120, 125 million, and you've got 15 players. So quick math. Uh, you've got... Uh, 125 divided by 15, you end up with eight and a third points, eight, eight and a third million per player. And so, if they expect, let's say, uh, let's say 8.3 million nets you maybe about an average of four points per game or something like that. So, they're expecting that you should be able to get four points a game from all of your starters. So, that's 11 starters, so at least 44 points a game is, is what you would expect to be the baseline, um, what you should be able to get. And so that's I, that's something that I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about as a, as a concept here is if you can get at least that number of points based off of what your budget is, which everybody's budget is the same now, um, then that really makes it, I, I think that that's maybe a helpful way to look at it is how can you maximize the points? Like, I want to make sure that I'm averaging above, and I'm just shooting numbers here, 40 some odd points <laughs> every single week. Now, for some of us, we like to say, okay, I want to target like 90 points a week. And if we don't make it, then we're sad. But, um, you know, give yourself a goal as to what number of points you want to make per week. But everybody's got the same budget. And theoretically, no matter which players you choose, on average, you should get the same average every week from everybody if it were no double game weeks and all that. Um, so I think that no men, no matter who you choose, theoretically speaking, the price point should be adjusting it so that they are worth what, um, what they're actually producing. That's, that's the theoretical aspect of it, but on a week to week basis, that's where, you know, that's the stuff where I like to do comes in where I can look at, you know, this particular week, I think that this player is undervalued because of and like we mentioned some of those previous uh the tactics you know cornerback versus the galaxy 
I can actually start to look at that and say, is it actually worth it to pick a corner uh, cornerback? Why did I say cornerback? I'm football's the only sport that's actually doing anything these days. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, a center back versus the Galaxy to take advantage of those crosses. Well, then I can look at the incidence of the Galaxy's process and say, does that actually impact the number of um, uh, points that a center back would would have versus them? So that's the type of stuff that could be used then to try to take advantage of those lower priced players but on everybody on average a player should be worth approximately um what their actual value is <laughs> uh, favorite comment of the night comes from uh ron Bodie, who says they don't like the, i don't like the new guy only because he is new ask him to shave half of his head uh blaine that's for you so you're the new weird guy <laughs> right there <laughs> Uh, thank you so much, everyone, for joining us tonight uh, for this episode. Hope you enjoyed uh, the, the kind of rules. I don't know. Some people thought it was going to be boring. I thought it was kind of fun to kind of have this weird combination of, of rules and stats and things to talk about tonight. Uh, next week, I am working on trying to put together a, a panel of homebrew fantasy league runners to talk about the various systems that they participate in and other ideas that maybe uh, creative players like yourselves uh, could come up with if you're looking for different things to do during this fantasy drought time so that's the plan for next week send your ideas please i didn't get anything uh this well that's not true i got the idea for the the homebrew league um but i'm serious send send your ideas for what you want to see uh the content being uh we're we're open to branching out from soccer if you want to see something fun if you want to just know what we're doing during our own little uh healthy at home times while we're here during this time uh, just just let us know what you want to hear what you're going to find enjoyable and uh, if it's too long let us know we're just trying to get people some some fun content to to have but we're up for doing anything and again if if all worse comes to worse it it may just me me streaming myself playing video games or something and mike reading a novel and and blaine talking about board games so who knows what's going to happen uh what we do in the future but um thank you so much for joining us any final comments ryan uh comments and plugs i guess uh American Soccer Analysis is where you can read up on all those expected pass, expected goal, expected assists. They got other expected scores. And uh, so I'm a part of that crew. And then MLS Fantasy Stats on Twitter. I've got um, I've got my models that I'm building for this year. And hopefully, I was going to say hopefully by week six I'd have something. Uh, but that has been postponed. So I might actually have a decent something under my belt by that time so i'm i'm looking forward to producing this content on a weekly basis so that you'll all be able to have you know be able to answer those questions should i pick those those players uh based off of a certain strategy and uh, i'll have more news as i produce it <laughs> blaine um just stay safe everybody um hope everybody's been able to stay in for the most part um hope cabin fever doesn't hit you like it hit me i've upset the wife so yeah at least i didn't shave my head i think she'd disown me if i shaved my head so <laughs> mike uh nothing for me other than i was very sad that no one pointed out that i've been drinking from a pork mug this entire time uh, i did no i did notice <laughs> i was trying to figure it out and i was like <laughs> you know i did mike you you must not have been paying as much attention to chat um 
Andrew said got to average above 44 at least. And I followed oh, up. That, that was the comment because Reed stopped. It was like, oh, let's go to plugs. I was like, when it, whenever Ryan was like the bottom line, he's like, my only goal is 44 points. Like as long as I get yeah, past that, that, that 44 num- points. That number was perfect. Like if go. I get, if I get to 40, if I get below 44 at any point, like I'm done. Like I'm that pretty fancy you will never hear from me again. <laughs> uh, well, of course myself, uh, on Twitter, a few things here and there, posting at a Fancy Boss, mostly just these these streams. I switch that up there, but uh, stay safe, everyone. We're all going to get through this, y'all. We can. Good luck. <laughs>